I have an important announcement to make. A red-letter day is on its way. A day of special significance and opportunity. A day often shown in red ink rather than black because it signifies a, a really important event. For the next, I don't know, however long, we're going to examine Jesus' most comprehensive narrative in Scripture pointing to the day of the Lord. A day that ends the tribulation, culminates with the return of the Lord, all Israel meeting their Messiah face to face, resurrection of the righteous dead, and rapture of the church. Listen, if we knew when that day was, we'd certainly crack out the magic marker and plaster our calendars with the brightest red possible. Although we don't know the day or hour of his return, the events we speak of in Matthew 24 give us some valuable information of the season of that red-letter day. Hi everyone, I'm Bill Nordstrom, and welcome to the program today. Let me say the, the subject of the end of the age, end times as we often know it, it's not, a, it's not a novelty item to be loosely bantered around with a winking eye. So often the subject is, is treated as optional material, but fringe a little bit, but, but interesting. There are astonishing amounts of Bible prophecy that point to the end of the age and the costly journey to get there. It's the only generation God has chosen to announce with prophetic clarity the signs of his return and the requirements on the church during this critical period. God calls it wisdom to understand this distinct period and, of course, to respond properly. Scripture requires those in the generation of the Lord's return to know and prepare accordingly. Both Jesus and Paul emphasized that and the, the knowability of the prophetic signs the timing indicators. Listen to Matthew twenty four thirty two. This is Jesus. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, you know he is near, at the very gates. Paul also has a word on this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the, the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them, as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. Now listen to this. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. Paul says we don't need to be in the darkness. There are clear timing indicators in the Bible. We don't, we don't have to sit around wringing our hands about the changing season these days. Open your Bible to Matthew 24 and elsewhere and discover the season of his return. Jesus uses the word no seven times in our text. Like Doppler radar, he promises signs in the generation of his return as an expression of his mercy to lend to preparation. Listen to these words that are in red. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, and level you 
and your children with you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. See, the implication here is you could have known the time. Reading your prophets would have clearly pointed to you the coming of your Messiah, no less than for the church in our day. As we learned in our study of the Old Testament book of Joel some time ago, the day of the Lord is both a great and terrible day. The Bible actually speaks of a death toll of half the world's population in those short three and a half years. It reveals the heart and leadership of Jesus during that time. The four Gospels alone dedicated 89 chapters to the heart of Jesus at his first coming, but over 150 chapters are dedicated to revealing the heart and the purpose of Jesus when he ascends to the throne of David in Jerusalem to rule over the nations. We're going to look at several parts in our study of the Olivet Discourse in Matthew. Similar descriptions are given in Mark 13, Luke 21. I highly recommend that you you read those two chapters of the Olivet Discourse. And, uh, of course, we're going to invest some time in this. It's really that important. What Jesus says in Matthew in this Olivet Discourse is probably his most comprehensive teaching on the end times. The disciples had a big question for Jesus when he informed them of the coming invasion of Jerusalem and the destruction of the great temple. Jesus offered a real detailed response. The beginning or the preliminary signs, the great tribulation, the parable of the preparedness, as in the fig tree, the days of Noah, the thief of the faithful and wise servant. We'll look at these responses in significant detail and in the grace of God, of course, we'll, we'll have a clear view of what we can expect as we approach the day of his return. Let's look at the beginning stage of this end-time drama. Let's note Jesus is answering the question of an inquisitive group of young adults, not unlike the fresh, newly minted young adults God's raising up in our day to respond to the coming crisis. Jesus prophesies the destruction of the temple. In Matthew 24, let's start with verses 1 and 2. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, that certainly must have had a chilling effect on those young men, not to mention a little bit confusing. After all, how is all that going to happen? The argument today, especially those who insist the events in Matthew were fulfilled in 70 AD, with the well-documented evidence of the Roman invasion that sacked the city and the temple— and also killed some one million Jews. That's back in 70 AD. Now, that that marked the beginning of the diaspora that lasted for nearly 2,000 years, until Israel was once again among the company of nations following World War II, 1948. The only problem with that argument is that all the prophecies were not fulfilled in 70 AD— many to be completed in detail at the coming of the Lord. 
The disciples knew from the Old Testament the destruction of Jerusalem was synonymous with the end of the age. We're not going to take the time now, but I would suggest you read Ezekiel 38 and 39, the same scriptures the disciples would have been familiar with. These two issues are inseparably linked in the Jewish mind, the destruction of the temple and the end of the age. That's no new theology to the Jew. Listen to verse 3 in Matthew 24. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, these are important questions. Now, listen, tell us, when will these things take place? When will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming? and of the end of the age? Significant questions, wouldn't you say? Jesus' response is both prophetic and pastoral. Let me explain that. He he immediately begins to prophetically explain the future trends and events that would bring about that destruction. Then later in the parables offers a pastoral approach to how we should live our lives in the meantime until that time comes. Let's look first at Jesus' initial answer regarding the beginning signs. This certainly is a time we're living in, and and the church is seeking insight and understanding about the growing chaos in the world. Closer to home, the seemingly endless dramatic social and political shifts in a divided nation that, according to Jesus, will have no good outcome. Listen to Jesus in Matthew 12, 25. Speaking to the religious community of his day, Jesus said, Every kingdom divided against itself shall be brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself cannot stand. Every nation, government, society, religious position divided against itself has no long-term outlook. It can't continue for long. It it can't stand. After the disciples asked the Lord about the when and the what of this future destruction, he answered verses 4 through 8. See that no one leads you astray or deceives you. For many, many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there'll be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Jesus, on so many occasions, likens the agony and the joy of childbirth with the signs of the end, the mild kicks that alert mom a baby is soon to be born. These are preliminary signs that will lead to intense labor contractions that will immobilize mom from life as usual, and likewise the church in the Great Tribulation. The body of Christ will be very effective in the crisis but it will also be challenged by the powers of the air. There are also some important statements Jesus makes regarding the nations, a word that is actually translated from the Greek as the word ethnos. So what we really see here, and I suggest we're seeing right now, is that ethnic group will increasingly rise against ethnic group. 
We saw that, of course, in the Baltic states in the 90s, and of course the ancient hatred of Arab and Jew remains to this day. And we could argue we're seeing on the streets in cities across the globe. The point here is if the social pressures and the ecological disturbances are not of an intensity that point to a coming crisis, they are not prophetic signs. I say the upheaval of today are prophetic signs. Let's go to Matthew 24. We're going to read verses 9 through 14. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation, put you to death. You'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Ethnic conflict. And then many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will increase, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Jesus is giving us insight into the progression of the events that will occur. The preliminary events designed to alert us a transition is underway and we should wake up. The Apostle Paul addressed these same concerns when he responded to the troubled church in Thessalonica, the great falling away, rebellion, and breakdown of moral authority. Listen to him in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and, and being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, is revealed, the son of destruction. My brothers and sisters, there's an hour of great deception coming from false prophets. At the end of the last century, we saw the, the greatest emergence of cults and religions in human history. False religions with, with ancient roots and pseudo-Christian cults that distort the image and the person of Christ Jesus. It continues in this day with, with artificial intelligence, virtual reality, and video games captivating a, a generation, a growing universalism that banishes the idea of hell or any form of punishment for sin, a counterfeit social justice movement that celebrates animals, plants, and poverty while simultaneously giving consent to the death of millions of the unborn. Again, the words of Jesus, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I'm the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. There is good news, though, and these words are also in red. During these preliminary birth pains, the, the declaration of the gospel will move rapidly throughout the earth. The church arising to its appointed assignment and destiny from an hour of great desertion to an hour of great declaration. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to the nations. Evangelism, outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the greatest revival in history. 
Well, much more. We've got much more to come in this examination of, of Christ's Olivet Discourse. As I said, we're going to take some time, some serious time, and invest this time in these important passages uh, coming from the Master himself, his most comprehensive teaching on the end of the age. Let me pray for you. Father, open our collective hearts to the knowledge and wisdom you desire to pour forth on your church in these days. Lord, we need you like never before. Help us to put aside the things that encumber our lives and and come to you with a wholeheartedness for your generous mercy and grace. We love you, Lord. Bless the hearers today with, with strength for the days ahead and give them much wisdom to negotiate those days. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. God bless you. I'm Bill Nordstrom.